Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week we have Emily Moyer. Emily Moyer of YouTube. She has about 100 channels. Go ahead and check her out. Emily is a holotropic thinker. She reminds me a lot of myself by getting very tangential but being able to hold it all together. I think you'll really appreciate her perspective. Since in this podcast, we just had a stream of thought that we just followed and followed and followed, but in a very weird way, it summarized the last 10 podcasts. <laughs> Probably the only thing that we didn't touch on was uh, was physical health things. But Emily is just op- absolutely wonderful person. Um, we, we have a lot of similarities in, in the way we see things. And I just always enjoy listening to her. She can always pull an obscure fact out of this, that, or the other and uh, link it to real life experience in a way that I've always found interesting. So please check her out. I forget what her website is. She says it within the, the body of the stream. So go ahead and check out her work and I will see you on the flip side. Um, yeah, like I, I've been having some interesting conversations, not on the camera about this, although one was, one was on a recording, but you know, how much of this is programmable, right? So you think you're going to get something like, I remember being very suggestive, like when I was little about itching and headaches, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I heard that someone in the class got chicken pox, I would start itching right away, mm-hmm. right? And like, if someone in my group at the gym we're working out said they had a headache, like pretty soon I would feel like I had a headache as well, mm-hmm. right? So like there, I think there is some level, I, I mean, I think that we get into danger when we try to say it is definitely one thing and definitely not something else or vice versa, mm-hmm. but suggestibility, like even goes into the names of some of these things. Like I was having this conversation with Les Luthor the other day about like what his, his whole thing is illusion warfare. Like everything is completely made up and people just believe it and therefore it makes it true, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm quite as extreme on that policy is, but I'm, I'm pretty close most of the time. Is that right? placebo or nocebo? <laughs> Maybe either, right? Yeah. Um, so like- we were talking about mRNA, messenger RNA. Like the word messenger is in is in the the phrase, right? And you know, it's like messages are something that indicate to us what we should do next. Like you get your secretary brings you a message and whatever. So there's it's kind of like um, a cue or a hint or a, a you know or or whatever it is about what it is you're supposed to do. And once you hear that one person has something and then another and then another and then another, right? Like the likelihood increases with each person, whether it's actual, some kind of like germ or contagion or something like whatever it is, or if it literally is just suggestibility, right? Right. It's amazing what people can conjure up with their minds. Like the body will do largely what you program it to do varying levels, right? But it doesn't have a no response. Very, very little, very, very seldom can you really want your body to do something and get like no result at all. Yeah, I always remember that. Even back in like the 80s in civics class, I remember uh, my uh, teacher saying, it's not the president that you need to control, it's the president's cabinet. <laughs> 
because mm-hmm. the cabinet's giving all the messaging. The cabinet delivers the briefs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that makes so much sense to me what you're saying. Yeah, I do think there is a physical transmi- transmissible thing, and I also think that there is the power of suggestion. So to give you an example, in the valley that I lived in in Costa Rica, I massaged probably, I would say half of the childbearing women in that valley and without i would know i know everybody's schedule because i was like the most mobile person around because i had a i had a quad so i would know people are even though it's a small valley people were kind of isolated so i'd massage different clients and i go and go down the valley and it's like within a four-day span i noticed everybody's experiencing the same thing Mm-hmm. And so it was like, huh. And then I started to see that it had to do with the cycles of the moon. Mm-hmm. Like it, even, even the lexicon of what the women were saying was like the same thing. So I think maybe there's something specific, like it's a little bit different between men and women. I think women as the negative pole, you guys are always absorbing your environment. Like, you know, people's emotions, people, every, you, you're, I mean, that's why you're here. You're here to absorb. And like the, the, the male polarity is it's a little bit different, but there is something to this placebo and nocebo thing, but there's also waves of energy that come through. Like I, when I read Arthur Thurstenberg's book about the changes in all the electromagnetic spectrum because of man-made things that really, that really had a big play. And then just being a student of astrology and seeing that and seeing how that plays in people's lives. And then just seeing the power of suggestion, you know, especially around the neurotic people. (laughs) It's amazing. But with kids, it's kind of crazy because they're so innocent, right? So they'll play and they could give a shit whether or not the person that they're playing with is sick. They don't care. It's not even like it's not even registering in their mind. They're just like, ah, playing. And yet then they'll come home and they'll have it. You know what I'm saying? And even like my wife and I were really good about not um, not not being the suggestion. Like we don't suggest these things like we don't like if our daughter has like a little sniffle, we don't say, hey, are you sick? We just we just said, oh, how are you doing today? Like in just asking her and let her come to her own conclusions. And even with that, seeing the things that pass through, it's uh, it's a fun experiment to watch. And it's really interesting because the community that I'm in, the, all the families have tons of kids and things sweep through the community very fast because there's so much, you know, interaction with each other. So it lends it lends me to the to the feeling that there is something that's transmissible. What do you think about like like if we remove ourselves from the idea that someone has something and then you're gonna catch it, right? Like it's this thing jumping around, invading. If we like, I read this book back when Michael and I were first. Um, I think it was like in between when we had started Project Kids and before we, like we had started Project Kids, but before we started Glass Bead Game, I read this book called Synchronicity by F. David P. Mm-hmm. right? And he was talking about how synchronicity, synchronicity is part of the underlying pattern of the universe. It's not yeah. some like strange anomaly. It's how the universe 
like unfolds and then infolds itself to code for the next iteration and all this kind of stuff. And it was talking about how important the immune system is in pattern recognition, mm -hmm. right? So if we looked at everything else, like, like if we looked at all the things that they call germs or bacteria or viruses or whatever the fuck they're calling them and they want us to believe they are or not, there's a thing out there. There's some kind of entity or being or, or microbe or whatever it is. And your immune system is trying to learn how to recognize what things look like, what things smell like, what things taste like. It's trying to start to recognize patterns so that later in your life, you can know who's trustworthy, what's a good idea, all of this kind of stuff. And it just sees this thing that it doesn't recognize and so freaks out. And mm -hmm. so it isn't that this thing invaded and did something to you. It's that you just saw something you haven't seen before. And so like the, the, the just like if a little kid sees a monster, they're gonna run into daddy's bed, Mm -hmm. On the more microscopic level, maybe your system, when it sees something it doesn't recognize, it just shrinks in or starts expelling everything or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So it really isn't you've caught anything. It's just that you've recognized or you've you've had you've laid your eyes on something for the first time with some level of awareness. Like you see there's something there. So it's not like the the what's the I don't know if this is like a truth or fiction or somewhere in between about how like the Indians didn't recognize the pilgrims coming because they'd never seen boats before. So they couldn't see them when they were coming or some <laughs> shit like that. Right. Like it isn't that this is the first time that there's an awareness. And so there's an overreaction and it isn't really that this thing has like done any harm to you. It's just your system went into panic. Right. It's mm -hmm. kind of like someone who's recently been mugged. Like when they see someone they don't recognize coming down the street, they're going to go into panic, even though that person didn't do anything. How does that play into the synchronicity though? Like so, what, what's the so, tie? So his book was called Synchronicity. And, and in the book, he explained that synchronicity was part of the underlying, what all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The immune system, if it is not healthy, it is not able to recognize patterns and therefore will look at things that we call, you and I might call synchronicity and just believe it's a coincidence. Mm, okay. Like the immune system and your ability to recognize patterns are totally correlated, which is why the same people who um, don't take good care of their health are also the ones that believe all the nonsense that they're told. It, it's a one-to-one -one correlation. Yeah. And I would say they more and more believe in coincidence than synchronicity. I mean, right. Like, I mean, there's like, right. you know, like, you, there could be like the like my father had this thing and my father's really interesting because he'll argue with almost everything I say but every once in a while he'll come up with something that is like the most perfect example of what it is I talk about and he's like he, he has you know sees value in it so my father said he was laying in bed one morning and he started to have visions behind his eyes and he'd heard me talk about me having visions behind my eyes like you know when I'm tripping or something like that right mm -hmm. And he started to see these purple like crystals form behind his eyes, right? Later that day, he had his first ever attack of gout. If you look up what gout looks like under a microscope, it's literally purple crystals. Wow. So, right. So he had perfect awareness of what was coming. Now, mm -hmm. when I told him that and showed him that he believed me, he didn't try and say, isn't, he didn't say that's a funny coincidence. 
right? If yeah. it had been a political nature, he would have told me it was a coincidence or yeah. you know, it would have been about like financial corruption or politics. But like, that is not, my father never talks about visions. I don't think my father's ever even reported a dream to me. So mm-hmm. whatever it was, was so out of the ordinary for him. And then that I was able to produce a picture of the condition that he had mm-hmm. and it looked exactly like it. It was one of those things where like, all right, you win this one, Emily, I'm not going to try and argue. But that is how good our systems can be if we pay attention to them and if we listen to them and if, you know, all that kind of stuff. My father is a fairly unhealthy person. Gout is a pretty extreme condition. Yes. So even he was, you know, healthy enough that it was giving him the exact clue. He, like he saw it before the doctor did. Right. Right. Um, so in that sense, like the body is giving us information all of the time. It's just a question of whether we recognize it against something we've seen or experienced before or not. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of cool because you brought up the term panic. So I grew where I grew up I, in Florida, I was always swimming in the ocean and in, in natural body, natural bodies of water all the time. Never once got an earache ever. My first trip to Costa Rica, I'm in this, like this waiting pool, this infinity pool at this resort. And I'm just totally relaxed. Like I'm meditating in the water and I'm just like floating. And then I relaxed into the water and my head fell like right underneath the water. And I felt the water rush into my ear. And then I had panic because it was that I felt the water go in. Now I felt water go into my ears my entire life. Like that's no big deal. But I had a pain. I had a panic response. I had the worst earache and ear infection I had ever gotten to the point where like doctors had to suck out all this grossness out of my head. And ever since then, I can't go into a natural body of water and let my let my ears relax and let water go in my ear or I'll get an infection again. So I'm I'm I don't know what that is. I don't know if there is like some sort of trauma and now if there's something in the water it goes in there or it's the thought, it's the placebo, me imagining that. I've tried to cancel clear it because I'm very big into the whole cancel clear thing with <laughs> if I'm holding on to a pattern that doesn't suit me, I'm like, no cancel clear like I don't I don't actually need that pattern in my life anymore but this is a pattern where science would tell me okay there's some sort of germ there's some sort of you know amoeba or parasite in the water it gets into my ear and because the ear has been traumatized it it, it inflames again I don't know if that's true I actually think it I actually think it's something to deal with that panic that you brought up like I had a panic Oh, you're on mute. It's the difference. I mean, at both like having been an athlete, right. And just also like observing people's responses. Like I have, I'm one of those people, like I have, like if I get in a car accident, my pulse doesn't go up. Like I have a very relaxed nervous system that way, which sounds weird because I'm really hyper. And if someone like says the wrong thing to piss me off, I can go from zero to, you know, whatever pretty fast. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like, that sort of like, I don't have a very upticked nervous system that way. And I see like other people who do, right? And I see that seizing up that happens, right? Right, like in that moment where they have that, like that reaction to like something that isn't really a big deal, but they they fear it might be based on the last time they experienced anything like that. 
right? So I see that. And then also as an athlete, like people who um, were very, very nervous tended to get injured more often than athletes who were very relaxed. And mm -hmm. so like the tension that you're holding in your body. Now, my, when you're talking about this experience in the water, like my theory is, at least from what you're saying, what I'm feeling like is that like the water didn't like, yes, it, it was because of the water because that was what the sensation was, but you were very, very relaxed. And then there was water in your ear and ears are like really interesting things. Like because they, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're checking the pressure, like the, the, the air pressure and all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when the water came in there, right, it changed sort of the pressure in your head as you were really relaxed. And I think that was more like that, that, that going from like this relaxed feeling to, oh my God, I have to adjust for pressure caused it to have like a, a like a, that, that, that response. And so mm -hmm. now whenever water comes in your ears, it's like, it's the like, oh, oh no, the pressure is changing kind of response. I don't think it has anything to do with amoeba or bacteria or any of that kind of thing. I think it's like the, the, the ear knows that like it got shocked out of relaxation once. And the thing that shocked it out was water, not the wetness of it, but the pressure change in the head of it. Mm -hmm. And so whenever that sort of is happening, it's like the woman who has the uptick nervous system. And as soon as she sees like a shadow out of the corner of her eye, right? Like that kind of thing, particularly because you're an athlete and your balance is very, very important to you. Yes. Same for me. Like, I don't like, I don't like ever feeling, I remember training with an ear infection once and just like not being able to stay on the beam for the life of me. And the coach was like, not letting me just be like calling it a day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, because I was, I didn't feel like out of energy. So I was able to exercise, was able to work out, but I could not control my body in the same way as normal. So here you have a person that seems to have plenty of energy and it's just like, is it lack of discipline? Are you not paying attention? Are you making it up? And like at, at a certain point, it just became obvious that we were going to be there all night if she didn't let me go. But it was a, it was a power struggle there. And it was the ear. Like I just couldn't find my, my way. And then eventually you start like not trusting yourself because you don't know where you are in space and time and all that kind of stuff. So the ear mm -hmm. is like the balance detector. Yes. Right. So it isn't just, oh, I'm wet and this is uncomfortable. It's like, fuck, if I don't know how to balance myself, like that strikes right at the heart of who you are and what you do is like knowing where you are in space and time. Yeah. And then it was actually kind of cool because this experience overall led me to a near death experience. <laughs> like I actually had like I got really bad infection and entered my brain. I had like tremendous uh, like it was it was a real ordeal and i wanted to die like i had gotten to that point of like okay if if death comes i'm good i'm i'm golden take me i'm i'm all right with it and then that was the only time in my adult life that i ever had touched this point in my consciousness where i f i feel like i actually got to experience the joy that animates all of existence like I actually got to have the experience of whatever is occurring, the animator is glad that it's occurring. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just like, oh, yay, existence is happening. Yay. And I got to have that experience. And once I had that experience, 
then it, it my, my body completely healed. But as I was in this resistance phase to the experience and I had this story, so this gets me to like one of my favorite things I've always wanted to talk to you about retro causality. <laughs> because this For is sure. like, because yeah. like we're talking about synchronicity, we're talking about placebo, nocebo, we're essentially talking about consciousness. So on a, on a regular linear timeline, it would look like, okay, gardeners in a pool, his head submerges, he gets an ear infection, he gets really sick, he hallucinates, thinks he has a near, a near God experience, <laughs> and then gets to the other side. But what if it wasn't that at all? What if it was just my soul needed to have that faith again? It needed that like recharge of faith. And this is, this is how it was going to happen. This is like the only way it was going to come, come, come forth. Yeah, no, I mean that what I was saying before about like being an athlete, that being able to control yourself in space and time being central to who you are, when life becomes all about controlling our movements in it, we lose track of the fact that like, what the fuck is this? And just the fact that like all of this shit exists is like cool and amazing and a miracle. And if it all ended tomorrow, like it's wild that we got to do this. And that's exactly that kind of recharge of faith that you're talking about. We get so jaded because something happens outside of what we thought our ability to control it was. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to be taken back to the place where we're rendered like helpless. And all we can do is like hallucinate, watch the hallucination of this craziness around us and go, this is entertaining enough. <laughs> Ready to yeah. go. You know what I mean? Ready yeah. to go back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. So, I haven't even introduced you yet. My friend Emily Moyer is is on on the cast. Uh, for my audience that hasn't met you yet, can you uh, please give them the little rundown of exactly uh, what what you're up to? I, let me let me actually say how I see you, <laughs> because you're, be good. you're you're such a stream of thought being. I wanted this. I wanted this podcast to be stream of thought because. I really find that on the level of being able to riff and go on like a spontaneous, like, you know, mind journey, you're the best. <laughs> and so I, I've always, I've been listening to you back in the day when you were on, um, what was that called? The channel off uh, planet radio, off planet radio, loved you. Then you were talking about all the, your experiences uh, in the EDM scene, the electronic dance music scene. And I really, I really vibed with you on that because I had some similar experiences, not exactly the same, obviously, but I, I could see exactly where you were coming from with this stuff. And just throughout the years, your exploration, just like, God, you had this wonderful, wonderful exploration of what water is like you were talking about the reflection of the lake near you and how it's like the reverse of the other world it's just like there's so many corollaries that, of observations that i've had with you and it might be because we're similar in age so we're, we're sort of that fire dragony type of of being but uh i just love your mind and i i just wanted to introduce you to my to my audience and have people get to know you well, thank you for having me. And those were some awfully kind words and I, I appreciate it. Um, I think this 
skill that you're talking about. I didn't, I don't think I was like, oh, I'm setting about to develop the skill of being able to be like, you know, a stream of conscious, just riffer on literally fucking anything. I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think that like, I got used to in my young life being in unusual positions. And that had to do with like gymnastics, right? Like upside down, like strange, you know, like even like some of the skill things that you did in conditioning, like you get into these weird positions and it's like, wow, it feels weird when I'm in this position or it's interesting to look at the ceiling from hanging upside down. And I would like notice things that I wouldn't notice in your sort of standard everyday, sitting down, standing up, walking around kind of thing. And some of the things were uncomfortable. So I would focus in on the anomalies that I noticed, I think, to distract myself from the fact that I was getting ripped limb to limb by my coach while I was stretching or that some other thing, you know, was going on. And then as I got older, I started to experiment with with drugs and I found myself in some pretty unusual psychological emotional, mental, and energetic spaces, not to mention some actual strange physical spaces. Um, And things look a little different there. And it's almost like, you know, whether it was cocaine or methamphetamine or or psychedelics, all of which I have experience with, I even tried heroin once, which was a very bizarre experience, not for me, but appreciate the fact that I had the experience and I'm now able to understand like what it is that the people who like that are kind of after. It's kind of like, having a different did you watch the muppet show when you were little i did okay so remember they all used to have their own square or like hollywood squares was like that too they Mm. all had their own box right and so the perspective from miss piggy's box is different than the perspective from kermit or you know whatever who else's box right so it was almost like each of these different physical or mental or psychological states or whatnot was like a different position in the room. I was like, if the room was circular and there was like windowed seats all around it, each one was from that perspective. And it's like, once you have either been in that spot enough times or had a meaningful enough experience or observation from that spot, you sort of like always can check back into that. So whenever, you know, it's kind of like, I've come to recognize that it's like, a kind of mental dexterity or like real like mind bending type of exercise that it seems like I do, but it's just what my body is really doing. It's like going around to every little box and seeing what each situation looks like from every angle and then sort of trying to make sense of it because we've all seen those like pieces of art that look like an elephant from one angle and a rabbit from the other or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Things look different based on the perspective that you're looking at them from. And I just have become, I think, really good at trying to explain them to other people. I recognized in all of these unusual situations that I was having some sort of meaningful experience or I was making an observation that however sort of weird it seemed based on like whatever I was doing at the time, that if I kind of remembered what that looked and felt like, then I would have like a reason to use that observation later. And so I kind of develop the skill of filing all these memories or experiences away and being able to pull them up when like the moment seems right for what it is for, for, you know, when I'm looking at something and I've just become pretty flexible moving around um, in that space and that other people have been able to um, appreciate that I do that and give me feedback that is constructive. I've, I've improved at it. I've gotten better. And I also feel really comfortable doing it right now. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people can make these connections, but they're afraid of what 
somebody might think if it doesn't land quite right. And so if you're not delivering it with, when I say authority, I don't mean like you better listen to me kind of authority, but if you're not delivering it with confidence or a sense of authority in your voice, it comes off completely different, right? right. If you seem unsure of yourself or if you seem sure of yourself, the same piece of information lands completely different. And as my confidence in doing this has has grown, my ability to do it has has also grown. And so I appreciate the people who let me work through the, the rough <laughs> patches in the beginning. And like now I actually see it as probably like my best quality, my best skill, all of that kind of type of stuff. Um, uh, I am, I'm also one of those people like, and, and this would probably make me interesting for someone who like is always trying to analyze scenarios. I will try to figure like my mind goes to work trying to figure anything that it doesn't have an answer for out. Right. right? And I will try to, rather than drive people nuts with this constant analysis, I will try to make it humorous or entertaining or sort of, you know, enchanting or whatever it is, because I want to keep doing it. <laughs> My mm -hmm. brain wants to keep doing it. And also I don't really want to drive everyone nuts. And so I've, I've found a way, I guess, to like make a, a more of an artful practice of it. I guess that's, that's yeah. What and would, would you consider yourself a highly intuitive person or do you think you just have really good pattern recognition? I think there's some of both. So I think like the, uh, I, I always feel more comfortable saying that I'm really good at pattern recognition because that feels a little bit more like an intellectual skill. And I was like raised to believe in the importance of that kind of thing. And that like, that was a value. And um, I definitely like was not raised to think that there was any value in like being psychic or empathic or intuitive or whatnot. But I've been um, basically I called on my bullshit a couple of times. Like, do you know who Sloan Bella is? No. The psychic Sloan Bella. She's really fucking good. She's quite a, she's a character. She's a piece of work. Right. But she like I had a session with her one time and she is just like, you fucking call yourself a life coach or this or that because you don't want to give shit. You're psychic. Um, and Robert Phoenix told me that like years ago when I first met him before I was ever doing this. So I think there's some of that, but I think I'm only comfortable with that, like under certain circumstances. Right. Like I would never feel comfortable being like, I'm a channel or I'm a psychic or I'm an intuitive or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is like when I get in rhythm with myself, whether it's with analysis and stream of throw, flow content, you know, like talk or chat or whatever, or when I'm dancing, information is coming through me from I don't know where, right? Like there when we're is. these conversations sometimes on people's shows and you're like, oh my God, Emily's riffing. Like, I didn't think about that. It just was coming out my mouth. And I'm like, as it's coming out my mouth, I'm like, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, where did that so, come from? Have you ever yeah. checked out human design? Yes. I'm, 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 I'm 10% familiar with human design and like 20 or 30% familiar with gene keys. So, yeah. but I'm familiar with that type of thing. Yes. W what were you in human design? I'm a manifesting generator. I forget the more details. Okay. So what you just said is very, this is where I feel like I'm akin to you in communication out loud. There's this other thing that comes in and that's our authority. But the communication is out loud. Do you find that? Like if if you're just internally thinking about something, it's not necessarily as clean as it is when you actually have other to communicate to. Yeah, I think that like some of it can be good. Like if I'm exercising 
and I channel some information and then like I go home and think about it and talk about it on a show, it may or may not be good. But if the idea is literally hitting me for the first time while I'm already somehow broaching, talking about talking about that type mm -hmm. of thing, and it just comes right on through. Yeah, it's there's perfect. No way, there's no way to rewind and get it as good, right? Like it, some of the stuff, like, <laughs> like Laura will be like, can you repeat that so I can write it down? I'm like, no, that was like a one-time deal. If we catch yeah. it on camera, that's great. But like, no, it, like as soon as you start thinking about it, instead of just like letting it roll through you, mm -hmm. then you start to edit it. You start to question yourself. You start to try to see if there's a way you could make it smoother or better. And then all that shit just ruins it. Okay. So I'm, I'm making you, you and I one in one right now. <laughs> we are both upper echelon athletes. Uh, you say you can dance your ass off. Back in the day, I would dance my ass off. Probably not to the level of you. We're both stream of thought people. I've been told by more people in my environment that I'm extremely intuitive. But like you, I would just say, no, I'm not intuitive. I just have really good pattern recognition. <laughs> because like you, I was exactly conditioned to say, no, the intellect is the way. And I actually still do feel that. Like if I, if I'm... A lot of the way to get to my heart is through my intellect. It's not just naturally to my heart. So there's this very, very high level of proprioception because we started off the whole conversation talking about sensitivity to our environment. Is there some sort of synchronicity that's occurring that actually causes the body to have some, you know, reaction because it's in shock? So I would, I would think people that have really good athletic ability, people that have the capacity to pattern recognize, people that can move effectively through space and time, we would be intuitive. Like that would be an, a natural projection from that. Like that shouldn't be such a, such a reach. Yeah, so I think you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I had a gentleman on my show named Mark Gober, who was a, a, a captain of the Princeton tennis team. He wasn't a professional tennis player, but he, he was the captain of the Princeton team. And we got into this, like, talk about how helpful an athletic background can be in, like, sort of finding your way in a very chaotic information environment, mm -hmm. right? And so when people think about like your senses, like some people think you only have five, some believe that there's a sixth, some will say you have 12 because you have 12 cranial nerves. Some will think there's an endless number or whatever it is. When you get to the, uh, sen the sense of like feel or touch, people are just thinking about their hands mostly, mm. right? But, you know, and so people feel like they have reasonable good, reasonably good muscle control over their hands and their fingers and maybe their legs to a certain extent. But for us, like our entire body becomes like that sort of like skin suit sort of technology, right? Because even when you're doing some complicated move in gymnastics or like when you're doing something in football that's going to require like, run, you know, like running into someone, the, the subtle sensation of like the wind against your skin and how hard you're going to hit and things like that gives you a lot of information so that you can sort of infer what the next thing is going to be. And so you can protect yourself or so you can, you know, whatever it is, right? So I do think that um, the athletic ability 
does that. It helps you with like full situational awareness, full information awareness in your environment. Mm -hmm. But it also helps you more quickly deduce what will actually work and what won't work. And that comes from like learning technique when you're developing new skills or like practicing new plays or new patterns and that whatever, right? There's something that might seem like a good idea in your head, but it's like almost actually not physically possible. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, there's something that doesn't seem possible on paper. And actually most people can't do it. But for some reason, this freak over here can get some like torque when they do something that allows something that like, according to the laws of physics, shouldn't really be possible or certainly not repeatable. But for that person... It is, right? Mm -hmm. And knowing what you can do with space and time helps you to know what you can do with the other tools we're given to work with. So it isn't just like where you are, but like what will actually work, what won't work, and how much time to invest in seeing if something will work or not work. Like when you're learning a new skill, gymnastics is a little different than tennis or football or soccer or some of the, mm -hmm. the sports that I know you played. But when we're learning new skills, like, there's like basic skills that all gymnasts need to know. And then as you improve and move up, like, you know, the, the amount of shared skills becomes less and people start learning this or that based on body type or flexibility or strength or coordination or whatever. And when you're learning a new skill, sometimes you're doing it because it looks fun to you or you want to try that, or maybe your coach thinks you'd be good at it. And you may practice that for, a little while. And if you haven't progressed beyond a certain point at a certain point at time in time, then it's kind of like, let's just scrap that and move on. And every mm -hmm. once in a while, a year later, you may have developed some more core strength, or you may have gotten more flexible, you maybe revisit it and you get it now, or you don't. But like, you kind of have an idea, like when it's time to move on, that like, sometimes people who haven't had that harsh reality of like, if you don't do this, right, you're going to hurt yourself. Right. It's not as imperative that they like know when that moment has come that like this is done and you need to move on. So I think there's a lot of like lessons based on skill development that athletes get that help us in this, whatever the fuck it is that we're trying to sort out, because there's an information component to this. There's a health component to this. There's a all that kind of stuff. And you start to have you get to a place where you have found yourself in this situation before and you can use what you learned last time to decide what the answer is this time and that's where what either is maybe it is but maybe it just appears to be intuition uh, shows up you know and people say oh he's so intuitive it's like well is it really intuitive or is it just that i've been here before and, and i know what comes next <laughs> right well, you know it's kind of funny i i've never seen a high a high level athlete not have discipline I've seen very athletic people undisciplined, but like a high level athlete where they could actually perform in front of others, they usually have love for whatever it is that they're doing. You know, the love is what sponsors the discipline and then the discipline is your focus. It's your capacity to focus. And so I remember when I first started getting into the yoga world, one of the Raja yogis I was around, he said, He's like, focus is power. And no one had ever said that to me. You know what I'm saying? And that makes sense because if love is what's sponsoring your discipline and discipline is what gives you the capacity to focus, it would make sense that, you know, power is love, is focus, is discipline. Like 
it's this it's this loop that occurs and so I could see where the more you have the capacity to touch that, and it's a non-romantic love. It's a it's a love, it's it's a love of of getting better and perfecting your skill. And just to have that internal wellspring, enough drive that actually has that, I think that kind of clears the cobwebs. And when the cobwebs are cleared, you have the capacity to be more aware of your environment. So I think there's there's two things I want to say. First of all, that that what you just described is actually why they call having no points love in tennis. Like I always wondered forever. It took me forever to understand the scoring in tennis because it's so different than gymnastics. But the reason that they call like so when you have zero points at the beginning of the game, that's love, mm -hmm. right? And there and sometimes you will go the whole game and still be at love, and the other person will win the game. Um, but I was like, why would they call it love? Because nobody loves having nothing. But when I read the history of tennis, it's like, oh, no, because when you love something, you will do it for nothing. So even if you're not getting uh, points, you love this enough that you're going to continue working at it until you get on the board kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was kind of like that was quaint. I kind of like that. But um, I have known. So I think like there's levels to the thing you said about like high level athletes that are undisciplined. Right. So I think sometimes you have a high level athlete that seems undisciplined in comparison to the other high level athletes. Right. Maybe you have someone with a ton of natural talent and they don't work as hard or they're not quite as like mindful or or just super driven and focused as their teammate who may be less talented, but, you know, has achieved almost a similar level based on sheer willpower or, or whatnot. So I think there's a gradient, but I can think of one athlete who has attained almost the highest level of his sport that is completely undisciplined. And that's Nick Kyrgios, the tennis player. Um, and he it's, but I mean, this is a, a very um, unusual occurrence. And mm -hmm. like all this person has to do at all is show up and train even a little bit. I mean, like from what I can observe and unless the reports that I've heard are completely off base and he has like, some sort of secret life in a secret gym underneath his house that he trains at and nobody sees him, the level of commitment that he shows to tennis is maybe more along the lines of, you know, someone who's just like a high school tennis player or, or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. It isn't anywhere near the level that you or I attained, which was just NC2A competition or, 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 or you, you did some little pro stuff, I think, didn't you? You did yeah. a little pro okay or or professional athletes like that this person giving the 10 percent effort is able to achieve more than most professional tennis players he's a freak of nature he's let also me let me qualify what i said so i've been around supreme athletes that when they were on the field were the best with very little effort that's not what i'm saying i'm saying the performer <laughs> because you, once you start to perform, you get into the contextual field of other performers. And I would say my greatest attribute when I was athletic was my willpower. I mean, I'm a five foot nine, 185 pound white kid from South Florida. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the strongest. But I was hyper intelligent, hyper observant, and I had a ton of willpower. And so there were like, I would go onto fields with guys that like from a kicking perspective, 
could outkick me by a mile. But when the lights came on, they would freak out. Like their, their will wasn't what my will was. My willpower was like, oh, the lights are on. I'm going to show out. Like I'm, I'm showing out. I'd be in soccer tournaments with like guys that were just so much, so much, so much better than I was. But for whatever reason, they had the little fear bug in their mind. And I had like the sea biscuit thing. <laughs> like <laughs> I had the, I had the sea biscuit bug. I'm like, oh, I'm going to crush these fools. So there's the best athletes I've ever seen. I I've said this over and over and over again, the best athletes never make it. Or like maybe this one guy, he's one in a million. But he's a, but he's a perfor- so once you kind of qualify what you said, like he always does his best in the biggest moments. So like right. he will fucking like he shows up. I mean, he played in the final at Wimbledon last year against Djokovic and he played a good match. He didn't mm-hmm. beat Djokovic, but it certainly was an embarrassing showing. But he also has a tendency to go out to no namers in the first round and whatever. It's like the higher the stakes and the more um impressive the comp the competitor is that he's against the better he shows up so he too has that ability to sort of you know draw on his best at the moment that it counts um the lack of discipline shows though in like you know when he's on side court at a 250 and just fucking around right so once you qualified it then it sort of explains a little bit better what you're talking about right yeah, because he's able to I, focus I, in the moment he needs to. At the on the it, when at the biggest on the biggest stage, he can focus. But if mm-hmm. it's not the biggest stage, then you know, then he's off doing something else. But yeah, it's it's a it's a cool thing because I I will always be a scout. I'm always looking at talent, you know. So uh, this is one of these things I've always seen. And I heard a, a coach say this to me at a, at a young age. He was like, "Yeah, usually the best players never make it." And I watched that happen over and over and over. And it was literally, it's like the best athletes are the worst coaches. And I'm now seeing, I've seen this now with music. I've seen like people that are, you know, just naturally gifted with music there. It's very, very hard for them to teach it. Cause like if they didn't have any classical training and they just know it by ear, it's just like, oh no, you just do it. Like my dad was a, a he was a track champion in Florida. He could run. He was like one of the fastest guys in Florida when he was coming up. And when he would see me run, he would like look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he could never teach me how to run because like to him, it was just like, no, you you run. It's just running like it's just there's no other way to do it. So you have the natural. I have a I have an obsession with what I call the natural. And that's the being that's just like granted with the 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 touch, <laughs> the gold the golden touch. That's just like because I was never that. I had enough wherewithal to go like, okay, I am really teeny relative to all these other massive human being. Uh, I have to I have to play to my strengths because if I'm not playing to my strengths, I'm going to get crushed. And so to this day, I still look at that. Like I, wa- I, I see and I'm like, okay, I do a self audit and I'm like, oh, okay, this is where I'm going to go. And it's kind of cool. D- have you ever uh, followed Tim Ferriss at all? Little, I mean, I've read portions of his four hour work week book and I've yeah. seen 
on like a couple of interviews and you have to like completely just let go some of the things he says in order yeah. to glean the beauty from the other things he says. But yes, I'm familiar with him. Yeah, like, well, I got into him like 10 years ago when I was becoming an entrepreneur and he he really helped my mindset with that. And one of the things that he said was you never you never enter a saturated market. You always create a new market. And as soon as he said that, all the disaster capitalism stuff made sense to me. All the lying that we're lied to about with everything, it's just to create a new market. You know, after 9-11, they, they start this whole thing called the TSA, something that's like so worthless, but employs so many, like, you know, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of people, you know, they created a whole market out of nothing. Or like all the all the stuff that they uh, pretty much it's all disaster capitalism, you know, the whole Corona thing that's disaster capitalism It's like, oh, we're not entering a saturated market, we're going to create a whole new market. And so I did that with my my jobs and or not my jobs, but my businesses and it 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 it's worked out. It's true because people want that they want something else. So, yeah, yeah I, sure. I really appreciate it about that, about Tim Ferriss's thing. But getting back to the whole thing with the natural is like the natural is is something that I bet you as somebody that loves watching bodies move through space and time, you probably have a pretty good obsession with that also. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing quite like watching someone who can just do it a way no one else can do it, right? Or they, you know, like no matter what, they're just, it's just better when this person does it than when everyone else does it. Yeah, no, I love that. And there's, you know, I can think of uh, gymnasts that maybe were never like the one that ended up being the Olympic champion, but they were like the gymnast that had some special quality that like everybody who was ever really into gymnastics appreciated, even if this person was just kind of there and then gone, like some skill that they did just looked so effortless. It looked like something completely outside of time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's interesting. Like when you take somebody who's not really familiar with gymnastics to a gymnastics meet, right. I can predict to you, what skills, what skills and what gymnasts they will be impressed by, mm -hmm. right? And it's never the things that are the hardest. And it's not even usually the gymnast that's necessarily the best, but it is a gymnast who has like a skill that they're able to do with a particular sort of amplitude or flair that takes them outside of time for a second. They're literally they suspended in air for just one second. It peaks out in this way that everyone else who does the same thing doesn't. And <gasps> everybody who doesn't know anything about gymnastics will like the whole room will rise and fall with that sort of experience. And I think that that what you're, what we're talking about, like that natural ability to just suspend yourself in space and time, like outside of what everybody else is able to do is like eye catching to people. And also is like at the core of the experience that like we're really after when we're here, we all want to be timeless if only for just a second. Right. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you see it, it's like, Oh my God. And, and oftentimes like it is brought to us by what you would call the natural, like the person that just has that, um, that ability to suspend for just a moment, your belief system, your, your, you know, your relationship to time, everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been revisiting vocal artists that like just blew my mind. You know, like listening. Have you ever listened to Pavarotti? 
Of course, yeah. Like Desim Dorma, you know that note that he hits? And it like he hits it and then like raises like one octave and goes like a whole nother amplitude. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? Like those types of performances are are to me just like extraordinary. Like there's nothing that 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 gets me going more than anything. Yeah, there's like the the natural skill, like the elevated skill. And then there's the like the performer that like has a certain charisma. Right. Right. And sometimes there's a blend. Like you might get someone like Freddie Mercury that has charisma and skill. Like it has a big range naturally mm -hmm. and also has the charisma to sell it. And then you have someone else who like, wow, that like the things they can do with their voice or the things that they can do with their body, like on the dance floor or on the game field or whatever, but they don't necessarily have that charisma. And then there's others that like, don't really have a whole lot of skill, but they've got like this, this level of like charisma or this verve or spark about them mm -hmm. that like also is one of those elevated types of experiences. So there's a variety of ways of achieving it, but you always know the moment you're in the presence of something like that, that is extraordinary for sure. Yeah, we've talked about it in the past, but it's that whole flow state, you know, that flow state is that, you know, you're, you're literally being, you know, touched by God in that moment. There's no mind, there's no resistance. As much as perfection can come through, it's coming through. And it's just like, ah, Garden of Eden. <laughs> and then, whoosh, so I want to talk to you about what's getting you into the flow state intellectually, like as of late, because I know you, you're probably more perverse than I am with the, all the different things that you actually touch on in your investigative uh, journey. Where, what is like right now intriguing you the most? So I'm still pretty like I'm 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 very obsessed with the city I find myself living in, right? Awesome. And I feel yeah, and I feel like I'm here at this time. To, to understand something, whether it be for myself or so I can help explain it to other people like I don't know. Um, so I'm still pretty bent on the sort of the, con the construction that has happened of this city, the way this city has evolved from the very first time I visited here in 1995 uh, until now. Mm -hmm. and, um, and like what I'm actually seeing in terms of the uh, technologies and the structures and then the way the interplay between that and, and nature here and like what is actually happening right and um i think you've heard me talk a bit about you know we were talking before about the reflective realities mm -hmm. and about you know some of the stuff related to interdimensional architecture and you may have even heard me riff a little bit about sort of some of the buildings like being musical instruments or being like genetic marker kit testing kits and and things like that and I'm still sort of on that but I'm starting to notice other things as well it's almost like each season I get some new insight as to what I'm looking at and that insight incorporates most or all of like the previous awareness but sort of adds a new layer that helps me to understand and what I'm really seeing is a lot of these buildings look to me like they have a spinal column, like that they are being built in a way that it has vertebrae and it's being built to accommodate the spirit that will inhabit it, 
like our friend Juan would call it a homunculus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Or a god. If some if anyone has watched the latest season or the, the only season of the television series, The Peripheral. And when they're in London mm -hmm. in 2200, there are these buildings that have literally grown into what you and I would recognize as gods or mythological figure, you know, spiritual figures, Buddha, you know, Zeus, whatever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's been like the buildings were some, these buildings that have the gods are much taller and, and bigger than the other buildings, but they look like they have been sort of constructed over time, not like they were erected in one fell swoop, right? One project. It was Do like- can I interject real quickly? Because I, I just listened to his his last podcast with uh, Waters Above. And dude, I was blown away because he triggered this, this response that's totally a corollary to what you're saying. He said the one thing that people don't know about sigil magic or they forget about sigil magic is the sigil magic doesn't work until the sigil is is destroyed. So you're saying like here they make these buildings, right? The the building becomes a sigil. They're doing some sort of sigil magic, right? And then when the building gets uh you know wiped away, like let's just say uh, the 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 towers that be in uh up in New York, then then the actual magic trick is complete. The, then yes. Yes. Okay. So what I'm seeing is that a lot of these buildings, like they're someone is erecting their mind palace, their homunculus, maybe it's even a collective or a group. But I see these, a lot of these buildings as being um, like stairways or ladders, like they're literally trying to ascend. Like they're trying to send energy up the spinal column for a larger being. It could be they're using those, those, uh, things that look like a spinal column as stair steps or, or or ladders and and the buildings are just getting taller and taller. Austin is the fourth largest city in Texas, but has the two largest skyscrapers being constructed and it's nowhere near any of the largest cities in the United States, but the buildings are getting awfully tall. It's mm -hmm. almost as if they're literally trying to construct a stairway or a ladder to heaven or to something like that, right? And what I notice is in the vicinity of these most impressive buildings. And I kind of have it squared away to like different quadrants of the city. There are also buildings that look like jukeboxes, right? In a jukebox, you can go and you can pick the music that you want to hear. So we have jukeboxes. We have buildings that look like musical instruments. We have other buildings that are seem to be projecting or recording or measuring like uh, some level of like genetics, whether this be the genetics of people or like that makeup of the city or something like that, measuring sound, measuring atmosphere. And these jukeboxes, like think about it. If, you know, when you were doing training for football or for tennis, sometimes you would like set up your obstacle course where you would go into your isometric exercises, mm -hmm. instead of just doing the same thing in place, you'd have like a whole little gymnasium. It's like they've created neighborhoods that are like little places for these gods to like work on their skills as they figure out how to climb the ladder to ascend to the sort of next layer or level. And what do you like to listen to while you're working out? The music that inspires you. Mm -hmm. And so each of these areas of town that are developing these godlike buildings, there's a jukebox, mm -hmm. right? And there's this gentleman named Doug Somm who was a musician here in, in Austin, a well-known musician. And there's a memorial to him on this sort of spiral mound 
in a park downtown. Did you need something, honey? Oh, just walk by. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so, right. So there's this mound that talks about his feelings about Austin, which are very similar to my feelings about Austin. But like, if you took, if you accounted for the fact that he's passed and that he's quite a bit uh, older than, older than me. Right. So mm -hmm. like that, the way you would say it then versus the way I say it now type of thing and his relationship with the city, but behind him is a painting of what I originally thought was a jukebox, but then I realized it's these buildings that I see in the different quadrants around town, mm -hmm. right? And he was a musician. And actually this summer, one of his former bandmates, the, the son of that person, and Michael and I did a couple of shows talking about it. He seems to have, how shall I say it? Moved on in an interesting way, right? Like what I think when I look at this is this person um, has achieved travel, and maybe when you achieve certain kinds of travel, you don't just get to leave, let everyone know where you went, mm -hmm. right? And and it's there's a lot of attention paid to it in a very certain way, but very little information about like what actually happened. And I've been keeping my eye on this developing scenario. This kid was interested in a lot of the same things you and I are interested in and has participated mm -hmm. in a lot of the same things. And it seems to me like he perfected his craft to a level that maybe he was able to achieve a little lift off, right. right? Some sort. And I am not entirely convinced that we won't see him again or that there won't be some further explanation of what went on later. But for now, people think he died on his bicycle, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I, I don't mean any disrespect when I say that, but I'm just convinced that there's much more to this story mm -hmm. than, than people know. And I think a lot of these old Austin musicians like Doug Som, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, lots of them have, have either been from Austin or been through here. They're very well aware of the metaphysics of this city. And it's called the live music capital of the world, not just because a lot of live music is played here. This is literally a city that lives on music. And this yeah. is a city, this is a portal that like, if you can, and I don't mean this in the love and light new age way, right? Like if you can achieve the right frequency, you can experience other versions of what we call earth or the realm or, or whatnot. And I think there's people here who have um, made it a practice over the course of their whole life to, to learn to do this and to experience it in different ways. And, um, and the relationship that you can have for me, like, I'm sure there's probably other people who have this relationship with cities that they live in or that they love where they're able to use the the city as sort of a springboard or a conductor to sort of you know achieve something mm -hmm. different with their lives but for me it's this one right like i'm from los angeles i love los angeles i have very interesting experiences in los angeles but i don't feel like i get um when i'm like doing my shit right here Mm -hmm. I get immediate feedback and assistance from the city. It's like when you're jamming with somebody and you guys have a good flow going. Right. Like Los Angeles, it's just like, if I work hard and I keep my nose clean, I do better than if I don't. But there's like no special energy I've created with the city to sort of elevate my experience or my awareness into a space that feels like I'm having some wholly unique and different experience than most people have or whatever, Right. That feels like it here for me. And the the way the city is being constructed, the the, the geometry, the, the, the shape, the geometry of, of these buildings, the materials they're being constructed of, 
the way that energy is being bounced around the city, sound, light, color, lots of things that are going on here, like just feels almost like a, um, there's like high portal magic happening here. And I, I agree with you, right? Like I think once someone's building, once they have been able to like scale whatever ladder or staircase they're trying to, to get to where they're going. And, you know, we were, I was talking about this a little with Juan the other day and you can, you know, there's lots of stuff in Tracy Twyman's work around like mm -hmm. the plus 33 and the stuff at Disney world that gets into this as well. Like there is some place that seems to be up in the atmosphere, whether it's exactly like one would think of it or not. But once you have located, like achieved that place, it's kind of like, uh, Mr. Gadget used to send the message that would self-destruct in 36 seconds. Like once you get there, like the ladder is going to disappear mm -hmm. beneath. And if that ladder is a building, then you have 9-11 or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever story they tell people when they bring buildings down. So there, there's three things that you just bringing this up mean that, that I want to touch on. This week, I actually introduced my campaign with like the house that I'm building for myself. That is going to be like an egregore of everything that I want. So like I'm I'm making the whole house an Oregon accumulator and a cloud buster. <laughs> and I explained it on on chances on chance chance gardens interverse. That reminds me, I need to introduce you to Mitch the Oregon donor. I forgot. I'll do it. Yes, please. Yeah, I've tried to talk to him a bunch of times. He doesn't return anything. So, um, so you bringing up this thing where you're seeing these buildings being erected and you feel like they, they are a sigil. And that's so funny because I actually have that in my consciousness now. Second thing that I have in my consciousness, and it's just been brought to my attention the last few weeks, is uh, there's this notion out there now that all these massive high rises are actually, um, it's like a spawning theory. They're just to mimic what used to be huge trees. And so Austin is a very interesting area for people that don't know because of the water. So the, I, I, I stayed in Wimberley, which was about an hour south of Austin. And the whole, all of Wimberley is drying up. Like it's like being sucked dry. And so I think what's occurring is now that we're sort of like at the end of this age, we're sort of having this in a very weird way, like a demented spawning theory of like, we're returning to where we came from. So because we can't grow a tree that's a thousand feet high anymore, hey, let's build a building. It's sort of like this, like, you know, from an egregore or a sigil perspective, it's like, okay, we're going to have this massive, massive building. And then the third thing I was going to bring up is the whole thing that you hit something. I don't even know if you know how, how right you were with the mirroring effect of the water next to these buildings. Like you were in stream of thought with that. You were in actually stream of consciousness. You were like diving in and that, so you have these big buildings that are being built and then they have these reflections or they have these water things around them that are, that are also doing a signaling. It's like it, it cause water is memory, right? And so it's signaling, it, it's used as a signaling mechanism. It's not right here. Like there's, I'm reading this book called Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino, mm -hmm. right? And this is like an old book that was like a framing device for, it was encoded information for sure. And um, 
he gives this description of what's going on in this like second city underneath the city that is like a copy of the city and whatever that is like almost exactly as I see it. But he wrote this book like a, a super long time ago. The, the amount of reflective reality that is in existence here in Austin, and I've never seen this to this level anywhere else, right? Like, I've, I don't know, like I can look up pictures of other cities that are on rivers or on lakes and see something similar, but I've never seen quite like what I see here where I can literally capture the entire city reflected perfectly upside down, sometimes with more detail in the reflection than in the actual thing, mm. which has a lot of questions, but also the way the buildings reflect against each other and the way that there seems to be this idea when some of them are being constructed of like whether they want to allow other things to reflect or not there's some that have literally built like cages or guards over them almost to prevent something from reflecting in there almost like they understand the power of the reflection and they either want it it's obvious that some buildings want to be reflected and others don't and others want to allow some to be reflected and others don't but the other thing that's crazy is like you can look at the same building from the same spot one day and the building that's reflected in it today is a different building than the one that's reflected in it tomorrow. It's like you're seeing something from across town. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is going on with the way reflections are projecting themselves onto and off of things? The other thing that I think is highly anomalous that I see is like there's some very shallow bodies of water. Shoal Creek is very, very shallow mm -hmm. and it's limestone underneath. And the amount of depth that the reflection in that water gets, like it literally looks like there's a building going 100 or 200 feet down and the water is like this fucking deep mm -hmm. it's like what is actually is this a property of the limestone like what is happening here and then some of the distortions that happen right like there's some of these buildings here that are built like there's the independent that is like the jenga building mm -hmm. but it's some, some of the things it reflects off of it just looks totally straight right mm. so it's like the reflection distorts and corrects and other buildings that are just like perfect squares look like these crazy, like distorted things and other like, like what is actually happening here? What are the metaphysical properties of that? And then the other thing that I'm starting to have a lot of suspicion, well, I don't know if suspicion is the right word. I I'm, I'm have a lot of my attention drawn to right now is this concept of magnetic, magnetic mirror fusion. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. So. I don't know what I'm talking about, but from the best <laughs> ability to understand, it's a form of plasma inertia, plasma, plasma, plasma inertia confinement fusion, where like you have two ends and there's like a plasma field that is directed in between, like that is mm -hmm. like in between them that goes sort of back and forth. Mm -hmm. And one of the techniques for doing inertial confinement, that's what it's called, inertial confinement plasma fusion is this magnetic mirror fusion technique. Mm -hmm. And when I see some of these buildings that are angled in a way that you have this glass mirror thing pointing off into the sky, like, is there like a satellite or is there some sort of platform up there with a mirror on it as well? And is there some sort of fusion energy being captured? And this is like being used to generate energy fields or to provide, mm -hmm. provide power for whatever the fuck is going on, right? I imagine... If you're trying to use architecture to ascend into another reality, there are elements of that that might require a lot of power, especially if you are trying to brute force it. If you're trying to do it strictly with like muscle or technology and you don't haven't perfected your personal personal magic or your alchemy mm -hmm. abilities or whatever it is, 
I see like to me, some of these buildings, maybe even most of these newer buildings are some kind of technological, like multiple technological devices. Like what Mm -hmm. you said about trees, like I had a conversation with the trees on mushrooms one time in which they informed me that they were actually 5G towers. They're just like Mm -hmm. the original version and they're beautiful and they have more character and they don't destroy the environment. But like the part, the, the thing that they're trying to get from the 5G towers, like the trees do it too. Yeah. So what you're saying about these buildings, like the trees don't grow that tall anymore. So they're like, let's just construct a huge 5G tower. If you notice all of these huge buildings have a ton of 5G arrays on the top. Yeah. Right. So very similar to like what the large tree does and the trees have developed character and they've been here around for hundreds of years. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe like the, the 5G towers will develop character over 200. I don't know what the fuck. Right. But like mm-hmm. you see these things. So they're doing that, but then they also have all these reflective capacities Some of these buildings house companies that require a tremendous amount of server space. I think the buildings actually are the servers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I think we're looking at this kind of living technology. It's not the building houses the technology. It's the building is the technology. There's a Indeed here. Do you know what Indeed is? The job database? No. The Indeed buildings are real. So there's a website called Indeed, and it's a job database. There's three Indeed buildings here. And they are very unique buildings. And I am 100% certain that the buildings are the servers that are holding this database that is collecting information about all these recruits and jobs and whatever all around, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, it just looks like, like, yeah, that that's what we're looking at right now. It's just like, which in some ways is kind of cool, right? Like yeah. you could multiple per use kinds of things. I'm not against all of this, um, but we certainly know that there's like some shit that's going on that is not taking into consideration the uh, well-being of the inhabitants around it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if there was a different level of awareness and transparency about what is actually going on, then one could feel a lot different about some of this stuff. I choose to, like, keep a curious eye when I look at it instead of just being, like, modern bad, right? <laughs> what what so. Have you ever seen the placard that used to be at the bottom of the Empire State Building, which stated that it was the power source for New York City? No, but there's a building here that reminds me of the Empire State Building. And I wonder if it's doing that. I see, like, it looks like it's collecting energy, like an orgone accumulator, yeah. but like more of the needle type of shape, like the Empire State Building. Precisely. Yeah. So a few years ago on YouTube, there was this video that did time-lapse photography of every major city in the world. And the time-lapse was during lightning storms. And the lightning just kept hitting the tallest buildings like over and over and over and over and over and over again. And a lot of people don't know, like the Empire State Building had two stories at the bottom of them based of of batteries. You know, an earth ground battery can like hold tremendous amount of power. And (laughs) how we actually get electricity and how we're told electricity works and like, oh, you have these huge power plants that are burning all this, that, and the other. I actually think those are much more for weather modification because all the steam and all the pollution that they put out that helps modify the weather fronts. So in a way they are for, they're not totally lying because for electricity production, you need a certain level of pollution that they can move to bring the weather fronts in. Have you ever been aware in Austin of like a really big thunderstorm or lightning storm? Have you ever witnessed that? Because it's kind of dry. Yeah, I mean, 
they're they're different now than they were so like when i used to live here in like 1999 to 2003 period of time right we would have like what the more normal kind of uh very heavy sometimes thunder and lightning storms and whatever but they would kind of come quick and go quick but they would you know be pretty powerful um not as much anymore but what I've noticed the few times that there's been thunder and lightning storms since I've been back, and so I've been back here for almost two years now, the lightning seems to come from the ground now as opposed to from the sky. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reverse ionization. So people are seeing that all over the world, too, is now the lightning's jumping up. <laughs> so that's not necessarily such a great sign for for uh, humanity. <laughs> and you're right about the weather modification. Like, I remember driving from los angeles to phoenix i think i was driving from los angeles to phoenix and i was probably into arizona already um and i saw it was seeing like little clouds forming from down low and moving up and into their space in the sky like they didn't look like chemtrails or anything like that but they were definitely coming from like the same location on the ground and just sort of floating up to their space in the sky where then they would kind of stay for a period of time. And they were definitely more like inviting looking than what we think of as regular chemtrails. But I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why do they seem to be coming from like a steam stack or a smokestack on the ground as opposed to developing in the sky like we're told that they do, right? I'm, so. I'm of 100% conviction now, now that I've been back in the States for about a year and a half. I have not in the Midwest, I have yet to see one natural weather front. If they're not modifying the sky some way, like if they're not spraying or whatever, it's always blue. The sky is always blue. And then I'll see them spraying and stuff like that. And so they're making this offer of like haze. They're making this offer of like rain. And then I'll look at the, at the uh, whatever you call it, the weather channel. And it will say, okay, this front's moving in. They induce it all. And I've had this like instinct for a very long, well, for about five years now, I was in this outside bathtub in my house in Costa Rica. And it was the most natural environment you could think of. Like I'm out in the forest and the rain is coming in and I'm like, have my hot water from a fire, you know, just like Mr. Natural. And like, I, w I was looking at the valley and I was like, in this, the wind came in and I just instinctually, I was like, oh my God, this is all engineered. Like all of it. Like this is an engineered reality. And it was kind of disheartening for me because, you know, there's an aspect of me that's like, oh, it's organic. There's a natural word, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, and I'm not even saying I'm right. It was just a feeling I had. But to this, to this day, if, the, if I don't, if, if they're not spraying, there's no clouds none so i'm wondering what the real weather when i say real i'm wondering what the non-synthetically induced weather actually is yeah i ha i have no idea i mean obviously uh mitch has his his sort of ideas about some of that right like that's his area of expertise and focus it, like i don't know it's like we we've all it's like when you like what did Joan Rivers actually look like? What did Michael Jackson <laughs> look like? like? It's hard to remember, right? Uh -huh. Like it's that kind of thing. It's like sometimes like, you know, when you see 
a picture of Michael Jackson as a child, there is zero resemblance between what he was and what he became to the point of maybe we should be asking the question as to whether that is actually the same person, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know, like I, you know, like we've been so conditioned to like, Mitch's point is that, that like they make us think that like precipitation is bad or any heat is bad or or whatever it is, right? And so they, you know, he he's like they'll never say what the actual temperature is. Those act like it's so warm, even though it's only one degree warmer than it was yesterday. They'll call that warming, right? Like, you know, this this ridiculous kind of thing. I have no idea what baseline is. I have no idea, like if everything just like if, and I don't mean this in the typical political way people think of it, but if everybody went on general strike tomorrow, if everyone just decided, like, I'm not leaving my house, I'm not spending any money, I'm not doing any work, I'm just going to, like, sit still in my house and, like, read books until the chaos and the nonsense stops. And everybody did that, not just us but like all the people who are like doing all the things that we think they're doing. If everybody just stopped doing everything, like how long would it take to get to baseline? What would baseline look like? Right? Like, mm -hmm. would we like it? Would we be horrified and be like, bring that? <laughs> right? like I, I don't think we have any way of knowing. I don't right? think like, we, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think we have any knowing. I know I've taken ownership of my personal preference. My my personal preference is that I like the sun, and I don't like a synthetic. I don't like a synthetic whited out sky. Like I can actually feel the door, the dead orgone energy, and it it doesn't feel good. It's not it's not a healthy energy. So that's why I'm counter offering with my my home as an orgone accumulator. <laughs> Do you think if we like if just they stopped doing all that stuff that we believe at this point is coming between ourselves and the thing we think of as the sun? Like whatever that energy is, do you think people could even handle it at this point? I think we're actually more capable of handling it. That's why they have such incredible uh gotcha. Okay. In initiative. Like if if we couldn't handle it, they'd be like, "Yay, chaos. Woohoo." And they just do it and they would just let let everyone fry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's the exact right. opposite because it's it's literally like, oh, because whether we like it or I should put it this way, even people like kicking and and screaming and dragging at the feet, their consciousness is being is is raising for the people that are even the most resistant. There's so much and there's so much information now. And like you're talking about these buildings reflecting on each other. There's so much reflection. Everybody is in a proverbial hall of mirrors now. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that you can't, you cannot not see more now. Even Maybe. the most, even the most ardent person that doesn't want, that wants the narrative of the, of the government. Even if they want it, there's so many cracks and chinks in the armor because it's all built on deception. And the 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 thing is, in reality, in 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 this plane of inertia, truth wins out. Like the truth, like nothing, the lie never survives, right? And so I see this is I don't know if I'm right, but my projection is, is the natural world is the truth. Like the non yeah. the non synthetic world is the truth, and just, the, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I want to hear the non synthetic world's the truth, and so that 
is always making itself more and more accessible to interact with. And so the level of synthetic noise that they put, whether it's a 5G tower or it's a haze or it's, you know, chlorine dioxide, whatever it is, these are put out there as a buffer because it is more readily accessible. You know, Gabe, you, you know, Slick Dissident, right? Yeah, I mean, I just know him a little bit from being on Weaving Spiders. I don't know him well, but I know him, yeah. So I want to I I run this past you because you're a good person to talk to about this. So we've been looking at astrology in a little bit different of a way. Instead of looking at astrology and saying, okay, we've been in the Piscean age and now we're going into the Aquarian age. What, what is seen as the four pillars in the sky, the four royal stars, they've all moved from fixed points in the, in the sky. They're all now all those royal stars are in mutable signs now. That is magnificently huge. And like, you know, we get so many things where people like we're, we're always, you know, given bread and circus. We're always, you know, flashbang over here. So we, you know, we run and hide. We've been misdirected with everything. So everything ever since we were kids was like age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius. And I'm thinking, who gives a shit if the sun rises in Aquarius, you know, spring of 20, 2203, and the sun is now in the constellation of Aquarius? What I think is the bigger thing, and it actually correlates to the Mayan astrology, is that now we're actually in the mutable age. So we went from all these fixed signs. You know, we went from Leo, Leo to Virgo. We went from Scorpio to Ophicius. We went from Aquarius, or we went from Aquarius to Pisces. All these things shifted, and now we're in this. Ha, hasn't your life become more mutable? Yes, totally. The amount of effect I'm able to cause right the like doing a thing making a thing happen is much easier and faster right than it was for a long time um for sure yeah and i mean i think i think everything is very malleable bendable changeable um and also like things that seemed like the end of the world like like things that used to happen that like oh my god like you dreaded them now it's like if they happen it's like oh well shit goes on tomorrow I'll get another try right like it doesn't everything just seems like it has this built-in flexibility or changeability or editability to it, right? Right. Um, before we, I forget, and I said, I want to move on and talk about this a little bit with you with this astrology, but you said something in your previous segment that really spoke to me. I think maybe that's what it is I love so much about Austin is it's a really good place for self-reflection for me, right? All of this reflective surfaces, whether they be the natural in the water or the synthetic in the buildings, like we all have parts of ourselves that are organic ourselves, parts and parts that we put on, right? And so I have all these, you know, mirrored buildings, and then I have this reflection in the water, and then there's the place where the mirrored buildings reflect in the water, so you can see where all this crossover happens. And every day that I get out there and I, I, you know, exercise and move around and sort of think about what all of these things I'm observing mean, it's actually given me a lot of time for personal self-reflection, which then 
gives me that like the inspiration for those things that I want to mutate or change or make mutable, right? Mm -hmm. Like I reflect and then I see something I either like or don't like, or that I would like to be different or do something slightly different than what I'm doing now or whatever. And I'm able to make that change. And it's that process of ongoing self-reflection. Like it's an exercise that I engage in every day, like for, you know, like just myself, but also this location that I'm at, um, that, that I didn't, when I lived here before, like maybe I had some of that, but I didn't recognize it. I didn't value it in the same way. Like I just mm -hmm. kind of wasted that, but there also, there wasn't quite as much, many reflective surfaces that there then, like I could, I could escape myself and now I can't escape myself. So it's constant self-reflection. So thank you for that insight. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to talk about some of this astrology with you. I agree about the mutability. I'm also currently reading that book, Time Rivers by Goro Adachi. Have you ever read this? No. It's kind of interesting the way he lays out the ages along first the Nile River and then the Tigris Euphrates. And my guess would be that like right now, these this Colorado River that runs through Texas, through Austin, that gets part of one of these interesting unfoldments that he talks about in terms of the way time plays itself out. Mm -hmm. But he has all of these ideas of like what the certain ages or spaces of time sort of mean and things that happen within them. And there's some flexibility to what he's saying. But when you were talking, it was making me making me think of that, even in terms of the kind of characters that arise during these times based on whether something is mutable or fixed or, or whatnot. Right. So right. it's an interesting book. Some of it is very academic, but other parts are like pretty, pretty interesting on a more sort of exciting yeah, create your own adventure kind of, you know, kind of, kind of way. Um, Did he talk about like how the, how the North American continent might be the old world at all? Uh, if he does, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Like we're still pretty much in Africa and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, but I do know that there's probably parts where it correlates to that, but no, some, uh, uh like a, another listener and friend of mine has been has shared with me the whole thing that like like texas is really egypt and right like this other area so i think that correlates like at that time for that age that was over there and for the age that we're in now this area is now that and mm -hmm. you can see the buildings here i mean there's tons of pyramids i don't know if you saw the pyramids that um when i was on esoteric america chad stumkey took the giza plateau and laid it out over some of the pyramid buildings and it, it actually fit right there is and you can see it like if you go up on my rooftop mm -hmm. you can see it sober but you can fucking see it big time if you're on mushrooms you're like holy fuck there's a giza plateau right here in austin what's going on yeah. <laughs> you really see it yeah well so the the thing that i've been entertaining as of late and i really like it is essentially the old greek pantheon the, the story of Typhon chasing the gods and chasing them eastward, that actually was here in the Americas and mainly North America. And, you know, now looking at all this evidence of like biblical evidence, like the pre, the, the what is it called? Diluvian age, like the, the actual when the flood came, like Noah's time, Noah's time was here in the North America continent. And then when the flood came, because it talks about how the the ark left and then it circled the Kaaba and then it it went and then it ended up in the in the mountains that it ended up in in Turkey. 
But the whole thing is, is like the fertile crescent, like when they talk about the fertile crescent, the most fertile crescent in the world is from Florida to the Yucatan. And so Texas obviously is a huge part of that. And then the Mississippi River has ISIS in it like three times. <laughs> M-I-S-S-I-S-S-S. You know, so it's just like, it's all there. And like, I fly in and out of Memphis all the time. And like just being in Memphis, Tennessee, like in like seeing Cairo, Illinois, and like all these things, it's just like the Mississippi Delta and everything that is dealing with it is is the amount of mounds, like you're not allowed to call mounds in the United States pyramids. And like in other countries in the world where you can actually, they'll like the biggest pyramid that we know of is Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. Well, that looked like a mound that looked like a mountain and they dug it out. <laughs> Imagine if they allowed people to dig out some of these mounds around here along the Mississippi, like you would be like, oh, you know, all the all these pyramids, like the Sun Pyramid in, in Mexico and the Moon Pyramid in Mexico, just outside of Mexico City, those were completely buried. Those look exactly like just hills. Yep, yep. And so I'm of the mind that, you know, the old world was actually here and then it was rebooted over there because we're told that this is the new world. So we know it's the old. <laughs> if right. all, if, if Everything's all, an inversion. Yeah. yeah all the history books are like, this is the new world. Oh, no, no, no. This is the old world. They rebooted it over there. And now there's all this data talking about how the Moorish people and the the scottish jews and all these things were over here and then the english got here like you know it wasn't my girlfriend's gonna be so she went to the workout she that you said scottish jews she always calls herself a scotch jew right yeah um, but no michael and i got into some of this with some of these like moorish people and some of these unusual groups of people when we were doing some research on indianapolis like we found some crazy shit when we were like digging into that that makes sense even if it is like I mean, we don't know how many times we've done all of this. Right. So, like, it would make sense that like they do it here and then they do it there and then they have to come back over here and then over there and over here. Um, it's a new market. It's right? a new market. It's we a were new, talking about a new thing. Yeah. Right. The So in the, the Time Rivers book, some of the things you just mentioned, he talks about some of those ideas too, the way he's overlaying things and figuring out what means what. Also, um, did, have you seen that television series, Dark? No, but you're the third person in three days has brought it up. So I have to watch it. Yeah. So like I, I, I the uh, Chris and Hunter from the Melt brought it to my attention. I watched it and then it's infused everything that I've done for probably the past three months because it's like really, really spot on. Right. But the the interesting characters and what they represent in this in this show that is about sort of the cycles of time and the movement of energetic beings through all of these cycles and what they start and what they stop and all of this kind of stuff. It really is, gives a lot of insight into the secrets of secret society. Like what, what, what we're really talking about, like, like what the, what the big, the big factors and in, in what, you know, like there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and costume and routine and all of that kind of stuff. But like, when it gets right down to it, there's a few things that we're dealing with it and they lay it out pretty well there. Mm -hmm. um, and it also is like the end is the beginning, the beginning is the end, blah, blah, blah. There's all this kind of stuff that is sort of swirling around what we're talking about here. Um, and so, you know, hey, so we're talking about mirrors. I brought up earlier retro causality. Yes. So let, let, let's fucking get into this. 
All right. So you're talking about the 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 end is the beginning, the beginning is the end, the whole Ouroboros thing. What what's what's causing what? So I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan because as a director screenwriter, he invokes the most amount uh, most emotional energy out of anybody that I've watched for me personally. I think he does archetypes better than anything. Have you seen Tenet? The movie Tenet? Yes. That movie is a mirror. It's a yes. ref it's a reflection. Yes. It's it's literally like it goes forward and then back. It's like it, it it's an exact it's actually if a mirror was turned horizontal looking down like your leg. That's what the movie actually is. And I think he was giving a truth drop to retro retro causality. Yeah, I think a couple of things like retro causality in terms of like the forward and backward in time, but also that there likely is at least one or possibly many other worlds that are sort of reflective of this one. But like, you know, when you get on Zoom or StreamYard, you can look at yourself in regular view or mirror view mm -hmm. and how and how discombobulating it is if it's the opposite way than you're used to looking at yourself. Yes. Like that was exactly the experience that they had in Tenet, right? Mm -hmm. The first time they crossed over, like they didn't know how to breathe the air the right way. The bullets were fucking doing funny things. Like everything mm -hmm. was all, but once they learned how to exist that way, or in this case, see yourself that way, then you're able to sort of begin to function. Um, the retro causality for me is kind of this, like, I don't know if time moves in the direction that we think it does, or right. if it moves both, like if it's kind of like also inertial confinement plasma, like, right, you have a confined, like, let's just say that like, we're in some like tube of time, right? And so like, you can go forward or you can go back, but that's kind of it, you can't go outside of it or whatever, we're confined inside of this for now. That we assume that time is linear and that we walk forward and so it goes that way, right? But we don't know that. And if we see somebody walking towards us on the walkway, are they walking, like not just in a different direction, but are they walking through back through time the opposite way if the way we're going is forward, right? We don't really know. We don't ask these questions, even though they seem like obvious questions to ask. And, you know, I have observed, um, we, we observe this thing called the Mandela effect, Mm -hmm. at least that's what we call it. But we also observe like anybody who's um, done like research or and presented ideas or proposed theories have watched like energy or evidence build for something that they proposed over time. And oftentimes the people who, there's a couple of ways this can be accomplished, but who sort of pursue it with the most amount of like verve and enthusiasm, right? They tell the most convincing story, right? Eventually either evidence will show up to confirm the thing that they said is true, that they're the story that they made up to be true, or enough people will believe this story that's told better than the thing that might've actually been the truth, that that becomes the new truth, i.e. history, yeah. right? So being able to tell a an amazing story being able to live an incredible story that is it's, sort of it's like, more real than real it's more real than real and if you can convince enough people when i say convince i don't mean con because i think we should be honest about what we're doing like we are making it up as we go we are trying to create the most interesting and whatever whatever your purpose is right like you know being open about the fact that like 
you know, this is the way that I see like ideal reality and I'm going to tell stories to move in that direction is different than lying to someone about what's true and what's false. Right. Right. So we become amazing storytellers and we literally storytell the things that we would like to be so into existence. And when you get to the point that the story is so compelling that nobody cares about any of the others, you are the victor of history and you have changed the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that like myself and other people that I have known during this information journey of, of the past, you know, 20 years for myself, but certainly while I've been doing shows and whatever, the amount of morphing and changing and mutability of reality that I have seen is evidence that that is so, right? And even though there's a lot of things about technology that we don't love, it has allowed people like you and I to tell our stories Mm -hmm. as opposed to just having the news dictated to us from NBC, And so on some level, it's been a great equalizer. And look how many people, even if some of the things that they believe are ridiculous, believe a thing that is not what the authorities told them was the truth about reality, to the point that those authorities need to spend half their day defending the reality that they used to dictate. Mm -hmm. So we are in the process of rewriting history. I don't think that's a wholly bad thing. Like, I think it's one thing, like, right, I, I, I don't. Like if everything's mutable anyway, then why shouldn't it be the person who tells the best story wins? Yeah, we are narrative driven creatures. And 100%. like, and the whole thing is with the, I love the movie Big Fish because in Big I Fish- I love it. I love that movie. <laughs> the legend, it, everybody reserve, deserves to be the legend of their own story, the hero of their own life. They say some line like that. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And the thing was, was he was actually, his story was realer than real it was actually the essence of who he was. And you and I are talking about these buildings as mirrors and you have this, you know, this plasma confinement technology, like our heart is a, is a plasma pump. And we literally live on the, on the plane of inertia. Right. And so the more we get to reflect, like every time I'm in front of you or in front of anybody, there's a reflection that's going on. Right. And maybe this whole age of mutability actually has to deal with there's more reflection now than ever. Because even when you see these ancient buildings, they didn't have nearly the amount of glass and silica on them that there is now. It's a totally different type of structure. You know, you might have height and mass and curves and stuff like that, but you don't have this, this level of reflectivity. And so now you and I are sitting here and we're reflecting our, our opinions or we're reflecting our observations. And maybe that's actually what's changing the, this, what seemed to have more inertia. It's actually giving momentum to a different view because we're actually giving attention to different views. Yeah. Your point about so much reflective surface and silica and that silica like it has a memory it stores things right so like when we just had cement buildings like not that cement and stones and other materials can't hold information but like we don't know that these these silica or reflective buildings aren't somehow capturing our image as we walk by and it will forever be like known by that building that I look you know what I mean like that moment when I looked at myself in the reflection there like that's captured there for all time like that moment of of reflection or recognizing oneself and sort of it's a way of embedding yourself in the sort of structure of reality in a way 
that maybe wasn't quite available to people so easily unless you had high alchemical knowledge. And, and now it is, right? It's It's been kind of, uh, excuse the term, but democratized, like more people can do it now or figure out how to do it, right? Um, and what you said about like, we're reflecting these things and it's changing the greater reality. I mean, how many times have you like proposed an idea and then like you go outside the next day and then like, there it is, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we can, t sometimes it's fun to take that, like they're listening to my show and changing reality based on what, right? Or, but I mean, we are participating in the evolution of our reality and, you know, like whether somebody is listening and like, oh, I think I'll do what she says or just the act of like you and I, both highly energetic beings, you and I, having an intense exchange about this stuff is like enough to push that idea into existence. So the architect that's sitting across town gets his moment of inspiration just at the moment you and I said, well, what about this? Mm -hmm. And he might not know that it was you and I that said it, but it gets done in almost immediacy right away anyway. Right. Precisely. So, yeah. That's awesome. I I'm, I'm so into it because I'm like, now that I understand that the plane inertia is just, it, it's actually here to manifest whatever it is that I focus on, like whatever I give my attention to, I'm going to make all the best offers that I can. Do it totally right in front of that area that I call like, you know, the hot spot or the blast zone where I like the big portal is that I talk about with, with yes. a lot of buildings. There's literally a piece of graffiti on the the train track like the side of the train track like it's like the the metal wall that is like a fire breathing dragon that has got smoke coming out of its mouth and words in the smoke that says focus on one point and dream and then that smoke hits the black pyramid that has the light hitting it that has the pink floyd spectrum coming off of it mm -hmm. right and you know and so like and it's right in that area that i'm like is the reality generating portion of town right or mm -hmm. whatever it is so yeah i mean i think that's like literally there's people who have mastered this art of like i'm just gonna this take goes back to our conversations like earlier i'm just gonna focus on this and keep hammering away keep generating ideas around this this thing that i want to happen and and, and you know like literally breathe it into existence fire mm -hmm. breathe Maybe we're fire dragon. You said we were fire dragon. Right? Fire dragons. Yeah, That's in Kanye West, right? I don't. I don't know what he is. Is is what's his <laughs> birthday? Well, just remember when he was like, when Trump was running for for president. Like one time on stage, he was like, "Yeah, man, I get my Trump shit on. Got my dragon energy going." <laughs> right? He said some shit like that. Right? And then they swooped him off to cedar sinai for reprogramming right but yeah. it was like some funny thing about his dragon energy right so oh that's cool i wonder what yeah. he is yeah i know like all the fire dragons i've ever met in my life we kind of run shit <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually so you're born in 76 yes so i'm actually a rabbit right but everybody who ever like is into astrology or anything into tracking like energies or cycles. Everyone always thinks I'm a fire sign. I'm a cancer, right? Everyone always thinks I'm a fire sign and that I'm a dragon and, and whatever. And uh, but maybe- it, in, in what? In bullshit tropical astrology? Right, 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 right. So when I adjust, when I do, when I look at it, like what would it be if I shifted it to this or shifted it to that or like made my location? Like what's your, birth what's your birthday? 
So my birthday is June 29th, 1975, right? But I also was two weeks late, at least that's what I'm told. So if I take my astrology back nine months or even nine months in two weeks, that changes everything. If I shift my birthplace from Los Angeles to London, where my parents were living when I was conceived, mm -hmm. everything starts to, to shift and to move around, right? So, I mean, yeah, so, so there's all, and I think that like both things can be true simultaneously. There yeah, are parts of me that are very much um, cancer and that are very much rabbit. But the other, there's the other thing as well. And I, this idea that we just have to be the one thing, right? Like, it's just different. What your conception is, is different than what your birth is or what your spark moment is, is different than your, your emergence moment is or what, what, what not. And both of those create, like there's, um, you know, like a, a, a frequency that is playing at that moment of what that thing happening and that imprints itself on you. And, and both things are true of you. So I don't know if we need to get into one or the other, but certainly- consideration of both is at least on the table, right? Well, I always look at it from like, I call it celestic profiling because astrology has been so warped by incorrect astronomy. So in celestic profiling, if you can actually do a true sidereal chart of your conception moment and get it within an orb of three degrees, you're, you actually get the the fingerprint of you without any modification like you get you get like how god designed you <laughs> and spark, it, moment. spark moment yeah yeah and so of course you know we're here it's a free will realm we're here to create what we want to be but we all have a template and it's kind of effective to know your template and you know for as much as you might want to be like a six foot ten black guy you know shot collar ball or whatever it, that's just not going to happen so we're we're made in a very specific way and i and i and i found that it's very freeing to know accurately what your template is because if you know what your template is then you're like you actually have it's like knowing the real history you can push off correctly you know, like you as a gymnast, you know, you're talking about these balance moments and it's all about, you know, shifting momentum and, you know, you capturing know where the fulcrum is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so many people, the, the, the sun sign horoscopes and tropical astrology are, <laughs> they're just not based on nature. You know, they're, they're, they're quasi nature like, you know, but, and so they they get a self-image they start to own a self-image that's that's on the level of persona it's what they want to present to people and then they don't actually know the core of themselves they're misidentifying Is, isn't it funny how many people who are absolutely against identity politics or like representing yourself with your pronouns who are happy to come on and say all their astrological, like I'm a cancer with a, you know, Pisces moon and Gemini rising and mm -hmm. da -da -da, before they say anything else about themselves, they're identifying themselves with their like astrology or their pronoun type of thing. Right. Like I remember I was at an event where that was literally happening. People are coming up saying their name and then like saying the equivalent of their astrological pronouns. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Because mm -hmm. none of us can deny sex magic. There's so much power in it. And once again, referring back to Juan, Juan's podcast, 
like the amount of energy, like I know the conception moment of my daughter, that moment was so special, the collapsing field, like everything. My wife knew immediately too, like we were holding each other. It was just like, ah, we're getting a baby. <laughs> like no doubt, like zero, like meow. And so I understand not all conception happens that way, but just there, we're all here because of sex magic. We're all. You're really going to like dark. Oh, do tell. Well, it's just the, the, I mean, the, the orgasmic connection between these two characters, like changes the world irreparably, like, you know, based on, I mean, what, what, what happens like you have these two um you have this this these two that have this magnetic attraction and this like absolutely like orgasmic procreative kind of sex that starts in motion the series of events that so is like everybody's trying to sort of co-opt and piggyback off of and i mean it, it gets messy mm -hmm. right but oh, we just had a visit from the Lint UFO. And like there's these things that are not actually in my apartment, but you can see them when it's weird. Like when when I say like a meaningful thing, they it's really weird, right? Um uh, there was like one show Orbs. that I did. Orbs. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like the things the cats are always staring at, right? Some kind of lint UFO. <laughs> but um no, but just that like that there's this this series of things that is set in motion at those conception points. If there is like a gigantic fusion reaction which is what an orgasm is it is an organic fusion reaction it is two people coming together that is what fusion is right that is creating this enormous energy field that has um ramifications for the space and time right like it, when the, whenever there's a huge energy field created it, ha it, it affects the field that way right it mm -hmm. affects distorts on some level it expands or contracts or whatever you know, space-time continuum for a second or a minute or or whatever it is right there. And and the reality is is changed, right? Mm -hmm. And the difference in, you know, um beings that are created maybe from so like I, I've said this a couple of times, but I just, I think it's like so it's kind of funny when she says it, but it's true. Hunter Muse from the the melt says like, are you a magical being or are you a bored fuck? A bored fuck literally being created from a bored fuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that would be like the NPCs. Exactly. Right? As opposed, and, and then there's various levels of energetic beings based on like the fusion reaction that occurred at the moment, right? Right. Um, you're going to love Dark. So I can't wait yeah. to chat after you've watched it. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I was procreated at some disco tech. <laughs> 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 to the to like the Bee Gees or to like you know Casey the Sunshine Band or something. My parent, I, there's this picture of my dad in his all white leisure suit and he's got his hair just billowing out. They got the dark glasses. My mother <laughs> just with the like the 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 part in the middle, the hair going down. Yeah. You're like yeah, going to the disco. I'm like oh yeah, that's funny, dude. <laughs> that's awesome well emily i'm gonna i'm gonna quit us right now could you tell right. everybody where they could find you and all the good stuff you got coming up sure um my website is emilycmoyer.com my youtube channel is my name emily moyer you can branch off into all the offerings from there i have 
everything is my name, like rockfin.com forward slash Emily Moyer, emilymoyer.locals.com. The only thing that's not is the Patreon page, which started when Randy and I were working together. So that's still patreon.com forward slash off planet media, but you can find the links to everything from my website, my YouTube page. Um, I also do like nutrition consultations from a more intuitive or esoteric perspective and storytelling sessions with people. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have any sort of like events or whatever happening. That's just it. I'm just like talking all the time on either my show or what <laughs> else's and right. <laughs> and fortunately, a few people seem to like it and, and I get to chat with with people like you and uh, it's a good old time. So yeah. Well, Emily, it's been a blast. This will come out this Friday. I'll send I'll send you all the good goodies then. And uh, I really appreciate anytime I get to wrangle you in, it's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, anytime I get to rap with you, I really appreciate it. I love it too. Thank you, my friend. All right, see you soon. So I hope you enjoyed our podcast together. Emily's work can be found at, I believe at emilymoyer.com. So go ahead and check her out. Um, we got a lot of really cool things coming up. Um, putting, doing lots of interviews here, putting them all in the can for you guys. Uh, we've sub- I think we've surpassed 1,100 subscribers uh, just on our Telegram. I don't even know what all of our other stuff is getting. So that's awesome. Uh, please support the podcast if you can. Uh, it's, go to toferhq.com slash donations. Um, There's so many things that we're bringing to the table pretty soon here. Um, I believe BB and Tom Barnett and I are going to do like a little monthly uh, <laughs> State of the Union. So uh, the three wise men maybe. Don't know what we're going to call it, but uh, we're all pretty stoked to do that and bring bring extra content to you guys. Um, starting construction projects here in Missouri, continuing everything that's going on in Costa Rica. So everything's jamming right now. March is always a good, good month, being the birthday month for me and my lady. So I appreciate all of your support. And um, remember, this is a reciprocal thing. I'm, I'm doing this as a venture to, to gather information in an effective way that I can distribute to the young folk, specifically my daughter and her age group. So the more support we receive, the easier all that gets. So I really appreciate it, and uh, you'll be in, you'll be enjoying some really good podcasts coming up here soon with Curtis Stone, with Ole Damagard, uh, with Tanya Harris. So stick around.